This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 667, brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. Visit Eero.com slash iFanboy and at checkout enter iFanboy. And iFanboy listeners just like you. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and Josh is back. I am. Oops, I'm sort of, sort of back. I'm partially back. You left part of you on the coast. No, that's not true. My kids had something for me when I returned. Oh, I see. That's that's how this works. Well, we are iFanboy, and every week we read our comics, even if we're sick, and one of us picks their favorite book. We call it the pick of the week. We'll talk about that book, some other books from the week, the patron picks, the powers. If we have time for some listener mail, it'll be fun, uh, even if we are coughing. Even if it hurts to talk. We will try not to cough in the ears of the listeners. Uh, that would be appreciated, I, th- I, that's I think. Our, that's our promise to you. We will try not to cough in your ears. We <laughs> learned a long time ago not to eat cookies in your ears, for example. <laughs> they were good cookies, though. Here's a spoiler warning. It's a review show. There'll be some spoilers. So I some caution this week. Josh. Well, uh, the thing is this. Uh, I put out a podcast this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, with an interview with myself and uh, Brian uh, Edward Hill, which I also notice when you say Brian Edward Hill, it it sort of vaguely reminds you of Brian Michael Bendis because it's three names. Mm, yeah. And and I was like, oh, I see. Two first names and then a last name. That makes me like a comic book writer, I think. <laughs> at, least, at least it gives him a heads up. Um, and uh, then I read through all my books this week, and I didn't have like an immediate standout. Mm-hmm. But what I did realize is that American Carnage, which you made Pick of the Week, uh, the first issue, yeah. and I was not on that show, um, has really become, and I say this about a lot of Hill's books, is that it has really become a, like, I, I, I see it and I'm like, oh, cool. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting, modern, 
relevant uh, and well done comic book uh, that that you know it's it's the Vertigo line. I, I think it's the only one of two Vertigo books that they sort of relaunched that I was interested in continuing with, and I'm very interested in continuing. Well, with when it. they announced when they announced that whole line, we, we went through it in the show, and this was the only one. And the rest yeah. were all like horror, you know, fantasy books, and, and like like just... like a, a, a limply veiled social message book. And this is a social message book in, in its way, but without being like. Well, it's, it's, at the heart, it's a crime book. I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. With with the, you know with relevant content. Sugar. Yep, yeah. exactly. Um, and uh, you know, I really like talking to him about it uh, when we spoke about the book. Uh, but also, I, I just I just dug it. I read that first issue, and I was like, oh yeah, that was totally pick of the week. And I read the second one, and I was like, I I I you get to the it's the one where you get to the end. You're like, I really want to read the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what was happening with me here. And I am in the middle of it. And I was like, and I was like, this art's great. Who's all oh, right. It's Leandro Fernandez. Um, and, and he did, you know, what was the last thing that he did? It was the Pete Milligan book. It, I thought it was the Greg, the Greg Rucka book that we, the old guard. That's right. That's right. I guess that's not coming back. That book that just disappeared. After. Yes, it did. <laughs> it was like two of the six issues were pick of the week or three of the six issues were pick of the week. And then it just disappeared. Oh, geez. Greg Rucka's. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I've 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 always liked that guy. I liked him. He was on Queen and Country, and that was um, sort of controversial because he drew a little uh, unrealistically. But uh, he's he's really good now. Like he's 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 gotten better, and his his style smoothed out a little. Not that I really needed that. Um, it's not as exaggerated, but it's still very clearly him. I think that also, uh, uh, um, Hill is a is a fairly straightforward writer, mm-hmm. and Fernandez is a little more abstract not a lot but they pull against each other in an interesting way Mm -hmm. i think if that makes sense like there's a looseness to the art where there's a tightness to the script and i think that it makes a really nice blend uh for that reason um and you know there's the there's a there's a great gray ambiguity about this book basically you've got a, a cop who is ostensibly black but is very 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 light skinned so he can pass for white and he, inf- he infiltrates a white supremacist group and the he's forming relationships with various people involved including the leader of the group who is the father of a woman who he's got another kind of weird relationship with and everything is unclear mm-hmm. and not unclearly written it's just it, like he doesn't know where anybody really stands and so we're left sort of wondering where everybody stands um, it's violent uh, it's, it's, I was going to say gritty, but that word doesn't mean anything. Uh, it, it's, it's shocking enough that, you know, like our, our, our sensibilities aren't completely like, uh, ignored by it. You know, like we, it's, there's enough going on. They're like, Oh wow. That's, that's sort of, yeah extreme. I'm trying to think, I mean, this is clearly, and it's a cliche at this point, it, this is a vertigo book, right? So yeah. this feels like a vertigo book. I'm glad this wasn't an image book I, for no other reason than I want vertigo to, to have these kind of books come out. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately don't really care who publishes it. Um, and I don't want – it's not like a spiritual successor to Scalped. Um, no, but it – But it feels it's, – it's sort of that – it lives in that same moral ambiguity. It lives in but, that world. It lives in the, the um, Brian Azzarello sort of 100 Bullets world. Yeah, I think if you took 100 Bullets and Scalped and sort of put them in a blender yeah. and sort of cut it with something else, you would get this book. Um, because, it, you know, it's an undercover guy like Scalped. It's – it, the Leandro and Fernandez art feels very much like it were a Riso in, way, in many ways. Yeah. And, yep, yep, yep. Um, it just – it's terribly good. And I mean that terribly because it's very good but also what's happening is terrible. So it's, yeah. it's a very, it's a very, very good – it's very quickly become one of my favorite books coming out. Yeah, and I, I just 
you know, if if you if you you should listen to that, uh, in, not you, but the the collective, you should listen to that that interview I had uh, with with Hill. Um, we talked about this book a lot. We talked about sort of the social uh, issues that are involved with it, and sort of where the writer is is able to be coming from. I mean, basically, my my preview is that I was reading. I go, well, I as a white person would have a hard time getting away with writing this, and mm-hmm. he saw that in a completely he saw he saw that comment in a completely different way than I had intended it. And so we mm-hmm. had two different conversations about it, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, but I, I like I don't know what to make of this book in, in, in the best way. Like, is the girl bad or good? I don't, I don't think we're going to get like an answer on that. Like it's it's sort of people struggling. I think, think there's shades, right? So, so yeah. you know, hardly anyone is all good. Hardly anyone's all bad. Yeah. And I think that's the point. And, I, you know, I, what's great about this issue is you learn a bit more about the main. What is the main character's name? <laughs> I'm just going to call all main characters who I don't know Rick. We learned about Rick's background. Actually, it's Richard. Um, is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, his, name, his last name was Wright, so Richard Wright, I guess. Um, Richard Wright, famous African-American author. We learn about his background a little more. We see him as he enters undercover work. We also get some flashes to some of his – very quickly to some of his past jobs, his mm-hmm. past missions, I guess, um, while shit goes really wrong for him in the present. I mean really wrong. Yeah. So um, – it's it's structured really well, and then like as the shit goes wrong, and then the guy in the really racist Obama mask shows up as sort of the cleaner, and it gets even worse for him. It just you're just reading, it, you're just like, oh god, oh oh god, oh, and then you know, yes. Then there's a re- really fun uh, final scene where uh, you know clearly clearly there's more going on here than yeah meets meets the eye because the ending scene is completely baffling in a terrific way you're just like what 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 does that mean and it's a great that's a great cliffhanger yeah. and and i think that one of, i think that one of the ways that you can also connect it to scalp is that 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 shades of gray that moral ambiguity that kind of thing like what scalp did and what convinced me that jason aaron was a fantastic writer for the first time and which he has very you know rarely disavowed me of is that he'd have these characters who were ostensibly evil on paper, you look at it's supposed to be the bad guy, but he'd go, here's the humanity about them at the same time. So when you have a, a character like Red Crow, uh, you couldn't hate him fully because he's a human. And it's important to remember, like, people who do bad things are still humans. See, and Al I think that's, that's going on here a lot. Yeah. I'm not convinced Al Swearingen's a bad guy. <laughs> See? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I was... I was not surprised that this is the pick because this was one of my favorite books this week. And uh, I'm really happy whenever it, when it comes out. I'm, I'm happy it's not like a double ship book and they don't rush it out and yeah. they change artists. And I'm happy. It does you know. feel like a little bit of like, this is how it used to be. It's great. Yeah. And we I, we really, I mean, the Fernandez art is really terrific. He He's one of those guys like Riso who does really well with a lot of dark, uh, yeah. a lot of a dark in the panel, um, a lot of silhouettes. The scene where the, daughter wakes up yeah. after he calls her because shit's gone wrong and she, you know no matter what she's all in silhouette the entire time mm-hmm. which is a clearly a, a choice she looks i mean it makes her look black and so what does that mean mm-hmm. you know so um and it's just that little a, twist of like a, a european artist coming at it with a, a european sensibility that gunfight was great you know yeah. also I, I you you gotta give credit to dean white for the colors the yeah. colors are wonderful yeah he's great yep this, this is, is a great book, book. Yeah. And I, I, you know, we, we were excited when we announced it. We, we, it paid off at the first issue and the second issue was great. Third issue was perfectly bleak. So I have a feeling we're going to, we're going to be talking about this book a lot going forward yep. until we stop talking about it because it's 
comes one of those books. But what's nice, though, is because it is an image, it will probably finish. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows these days? Saying. Uh, um, so the other big uh, book this week was, well, there's, there's a couple of big books this week, but the probably the big prestige release was Naomi, which is the second book from the Wonder Comics line. Bendis, Ryan Michael Bendis' little uh, YA or all ages or whatever you want to call it imprint at DC. This one is co-written by David F. Walker, drawn by Jamal Campbell. And I had no idea. And I learned about this after reading the issue that like Bendis and Walker are like best friends. I think that I had hints of it and then like I, I forget and then kind of remember. But yeah. Like they met in Portland and they, they both they co-teach a class. Right. That's at, that's at what Palantir, I mean. Like, and they they have dinner every Friday night. Like it's like a I, I was like, you know. Oh, so what wow, happened okay. with so what happened with him in Fraction then? <laughs> <laughs> Fraction sitting at home going, "Why am I not co-writing a book?" Um, he's not. But You've this, had your so chance, this is, Fraction. This is uh, so this is about a young girl in a small town in the Pacific Northwest who is um, the problem with everyone moving to Portland is that all of a sudden the books are all about fucking Portland. <laughs> so, well, this is not Portland, but this is clearly a small town. Whatever outside of Portland, it's Portland desk. Yeah. There's a lot of hipsters in the yeah, Fred Armisen's in the background, pal. <laughs> so uh, Superman is fighting Mongol. And, you know, in the course of one of those, like, like uh, miles spanning fights, they bounce into the small town. They have a little they have a couple of punches in them in the on the main street and they fly away again. And that sort of becomes the most exciting thing that ever happened in the town. And for a girl like Naomi, who is a Superman, Superman fan, it's really great. And then he comes back briefly to help clean up and he, she misses him again. And, and then, but slowly it unravels that there is a mystery here. Something else had happened in the past. There was, this wasn't the first time superheroes showed up in town, but no one will talk about it. And, and then it was revealed that the last time they came to town was the, the day she was born mm-hmm. or the day she was adopted. So the, you know, she's going to be a superhero, but, uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I saw it. And I, like, I, I mean, I didn't see it. I saw that you put it on the list and I went, oh, I should probably read that. And then I didn't get to it. So mm. is it? it was really good. Okay. Um, uh, there, you know, you, it's interesting because Bendis and Walker are very different writers and it's not really either one of them here. Really? You know, there's some things that there's some things that are, that are Bendis see, but it's not, you know, there's definitely like that, that, that pitter patter dialogue, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's not fully Bendis and it's not fully Walker. And, and you that, have a and that's good? female, a black female. Yes, it's good. And you have a black female protagonist. So Walker, as we said before, lends a lot of authenticity to, to those characters. And so it feels really right. And, and, and Bendis has a lot of uh, experience doing black female protagonists too. So, he, I mean, literally going back to like powers at some point. I mean, I think it's when he started adopting his kids. He wanted to put representation in the yep, books for them. Yep. And that's, this is not a criticism. It's just, it yeah, is. No. Uh, it was very good. This was very good. I don't know if it had been my pick. I didn't really think about what my pick would have been this week, but um, it was a very good issue. And it's a good start between this and Young Justice for this line of books. It's very different. It feels like, you know, it's a very classic Superman. Um, you know, they said these are all in continuity. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's 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 good. It's very good. I mean, we've talked about Walker a lot. He's a really good writer. So Yeah, I'm digging his good. image series. Two really good writers. Bitterroot? Plus, Bitterroot, yeah. Plus Jamal Campbell is a really, really strong artist. It, it's a different style than you're used to. 
in a lot of D- DC books. So it's it's a really strong uh, debut. Nice. Yeah. So while we were on the break, I read, I think I read two issues of cover because mm-hmm. I was catching up. And I thought, I'm really upset that there's not a show that we can talk about how weird <laughs> this book is. Yeah. It's it's like the and we're gonna this is we just talked about Bendis, but now we're gonna talk about a completely different Bendis. Yeah. So I, just so I'm clear, the main character in this book is more or less David Mack. Yes. Who did a uh, 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 martial arts story, Kabuki, um, and then didn't really have another hit after that, but can work and is respected generally. But does a lot of cover work. Yeah, does goes to cons, can sell sketches, do everything. Yeah. He is recruited by a, a government operative of some way, not CIA or whatever. They don't really say uh, to be a spy of sorts. Not it's not necessarily doing wet work. Although there's been a little bit of that. Uh, and then he is supposed to go after Isad. Ribic. Ribic. It's him. I mean, well, it, it's is him. It Isad, is, it, is it Isad Ribic or is it is it the other guy, Igor Cordy? No, it's Isad Ribic. Like it okay. looks like him. He's Isad Ribic okay. is a mountain of a man. It's it's okay. him. That's the drawing. Who he goes to? This is what has happened in the past. And the reason I'm explaining of it because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you read it. I want to say it all out loud because I want to hear Connor laugh. And. <laughs> So he, he goes to fight Ribic a couple of issues ago. He's captured and then put in a chair and, and Ribic sort of tortures him. And then David Mack, these aren't the characters' names, but may as well be, gets out of it by saying, you love Jack Kirby and this is not what Jack Kirby would have done. Yeah. Which ends that scenario. Jack, Jack Kirby would have been punching you in this room. Jack Kirby was the Nazi puncher. And it worked. And then in this one, he gets invited to another con because that's sort of how this happens. And he finds out the entire con was put up uh, for the benefit of having him go out there. And all these other artists, including Bendis, are paid to go out to this con in, I think it's Brazil. Well, Bendis has been the sort of sidekick character. Also, I don't know who the other people at the table at the beginning of this issue are, but clearly those are other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the fact that the – he's not the villain. David Walker, for all we know. Yeah, yeah. The villain is Isad Ribic for a little while, which is like, <laughs> all right, go on. I'm listening. <laughs> it's a That's, weird book. It's a weird book. And also, like, I, it's funny because I put David Mack on a certain level. A certain pedestal might not be the right word, but I, I just think, oh, he's a guy who doesn't. This doesn't seem like a book that David Mack would be doing. And again, not a criticism. It's just, it, it, it's well, just all weird. It, I think Ryan and I talked about it before, but I mean, it's sort of an artist. I think it's an artistic tour de force for David Mack. I, uh, yeah, he's, no, he's, it's, he's, it's he's good. Like I like four, it. I don't know if I've made that clear. He's doing like four different styles yep. in all these issues, and it's and it's terrific. Um, it's like it's totally bizarre, but I, I, I really dig it for its bizarreness and for the fact that despite the fact that it has David Mack and Isad Ribic as dueling uh, spies – there's a lot of authenticity here and, and heart in the in the portrayal of life as a comic creator on the road at these conventions or hanging out with each other or how they banter while they're doing their work. Like it's almost like there's two different books going on here. One is a sort of really uh, great slice of life look at a co- life of a comic cr- or comic creators, and then the other one is a strange sort of '80s spy movie. You know, right? Like, um. Yeah, it's totally bizarre. I mean, it's weird, <laughs> but it's great. I it's my it's my favorite of the Bendis Jinx World relaunches. I think it might be. 
I, I think I think that might be the case. And and like every time afterwards, I'm like, I, I think I really enjoyed that, but I'm not even clear that I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But it's so it's so insidery though. Yeah. Oh, like sure. it is like, how can I put the smallest possible readership on this thing <laughs> in a sort of a mainstream context? And then even within comics, I don't know. Like I feel like it's not like a lot of people know a lot about David Mack. Right. I don't know. Especially now, like twenty years ago, he. It's was almost like deal. he did this book just for his circle of friends, and he got DC to publish it. And hey, pay why them. not? I know. <laughs> I, it's you know for a guy who's really sort of done a lot of broad work for such a long time it's it's oddly specific like actually you know what uh what was the it's kind of the autobio memoir book he did way back oh uh shit yeah yeah that, that he one. wrote and drew and it was great yep uh but you know he always said he'd do a second one of those this is like in that same sort of vein it's just super well exciting. i mean you got Vessel bendis and david bendis fortune and glory Max. Fortune and Glory. Ben is doing most, uh, Max doing most of the art, but also uh, Michael Ivan Oming is doing some of the art too. So yeah. this is basically like, hey, but, hey guys, let's do this. I really like that he and, has a family, like a family like that, you know. And also, um, this is the place that he gets to do his weird, really idiosyncratic books. He gets, he does Superman. He does, you know, even Young Justice is a big book over in in, in his other line. But this is like his weird. Shit that he that he came up doing that is his fortune and glory yep. plus his jinx and goldfish stuff. And yeah, I like it. He's he's got range. People f- might forget that because he writes so many superhero books, but he's got a lot a hell of a lot of range. Mm-hmm. And uh, I re- this is my favorite of his Jinx World books for sure. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm enjoying a couple of them. I, Pearl came out this week. I like that book too, just because I still don't know what to make of it. I just like how that does Ribic feel about this? I don't know. I have to assume he's in on it because you don't want to make him angry. He's seven feet tall. <laughs> like, the, like, like I, w- I want to point this. The character as drawn in the book is not an exaggeration. Right. I have been next to him, and I was like, good God. <laughs> Igor Corday is a different kind of dude. He was That's like, right. I looked, at, I looked at the photos while you were talking. And yeah, right no, there. he's like special forces scary. He's a... <laughs> Right. He, would, David Max's character wouldn't have woken up if it was Igor Corday in the room. No way. No way. Wouldn't have... Would, no, Exactly. It would have been. No, but that that scene in the last issue where he's like, "You you admire Kirby, but if you're if Kirby's in the room, he'd be punching you." Was like, I was like, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. Like, like what? In the in in a great way. Yeah. It's so, a, it's 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 a heck of a series. It's the strangest thing. <laughs> so, and I don't. Know, is it ending in six? I don't know how what these I, are doing. But it can't go on forever. Although well, it doesn't barely, feel like he, it. it, still feels he's barely like we're getting in, started. Yeah, it still feels like we're in the opening act. So I, I doubt it's six. Guardians of the Galaxy number one. I was very excited for Donny Cates on story. Jeff Shaw on art, who is his collaborator. He was he did Cosmic Ghostwriter and, and his image book. And no, he wasn't in Cosmic Ghostwriter. He was on Thanos. He did the covers for Cosmic oh, okay. Ghostwriter. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's what, no, I meant Thanos. That's what I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant. I meant Thanos. He um, did. I uh, did. Uh, I think God Country with with uh, yeah the image book. I didn't like it. Didn't like it at much. all. I mean, it was okay. I guess I, I, it, it, I felt like it was missing that Donny Kate special sauce. And if you, if you had taken the name off of this book, I don't think I could have told you who wrote it. Uh, you know, we've been talking about how he has that strange sort yeah. of uh, needle eye. You know, he goes through the eye the needle with his sort of mm-hmm. goofy, but also 
serious tone and I just felt like it was missing mm-hmm. here. And also like there was some, I mean, it's not his fault, but some things like I didn't know what happened to Groot. Like I didn't know why suddenly he talks normal. Yeah. You know, and also I never want that by the way. Yeah. We've talked about that before, but there was just things like I didn't, didn't really explain. I don't think there was a recap page, so I didn't know why. Like, so, but it was fine. You roll with it. But that, yeah, that doesn't bother me so much. Actually, I kind of like that. Um, in a way, like, oh, it's just because that always reminds me of like when I would read Avengers comics as a kid, right. and I was just like, I guess I'll just get on this, which is fine. I think there was a lot of work to be done here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of setup, in terms of starting the story, yep. uh, and maybe that didn't leave enough room for. The fun bit. True. I mean, there's I, a lot of heavy lifting, and I'm not saying I'm not going to continue reading it. I'm definitely yeah. going to continue reading it. I just was like, I was really excited for it based uh-huh. on, you know, the last five books he's written, and I was like, oh, all right. I think that I was probably less excited about it. I, I don't actually really like Venom all that much. I, I didn't keep reading it, so. I never. I didn't read it at all. Clearly. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I don't expect to like everything that he does. I liked this. I didn't love it. I, I liked that. I mean, I, I think one of the things is that Kate seems to be in a spot now where he's kind of allowed to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. He or he earned the freedom of I'm going to get to throw all this stuff in a pot and see what it does. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily always work out. But also we don't really see how it's it's going to go. I, right. I liked how the beginning went. Like every time Star Fox shows up, I'm like, he's just a weird character. And they kind of do something different with him. I just wish he was in his classic costume. <laughs> the classic costume really fit the character. It's true, but this is like a different version of him. Yeah, I get it. And and the way that he came about it, I was like, this is weird. And the, the way that they formed whatever this little team was. And even, you know, it's funny because this isn't um, Peter Quill. This isn't uh, um, what's his name from the movies. It, it's not that version. It doesn't feel like it, which uh, I'm fine with. Um, yeah. And and like, is, is Moondragon not human? I thought she was. I don't know. I see. The good thing is, I don't know a lot about some of these characters. So yeah, and I think that that's fun. And I know in the background, I'm like, hey, there's Quasar, there's Super Scroll. There, like, I like that it's deep Marvel. You know, you've got Centurion in there. You've got all these different characters, and I don't know. It is a little crazy. I think it needs to come together. Yeah, and I'm I'm giving it rope because he has proved himself over and over. No one though has done Guardians of the Galaxy with any sort of stickiness since Abnett and Landing. And I think sure. I'm waiting for that bar to be cleared, and I don't know that it will be. Yeah, I mean, Jerry, Duggan, they, the books Bendis. are good, but it just doesn't set the, I also the th- world on fire. I also think it's really interesting that, I mean, at this point, there's 20, what, two Marvel movies, more than that. Mm-hmm. So the idea of hewing really closely to the movie version of stuff probably isn't as important as possible, but this is completely turning the property on its head. If they had people coming to get this comic book because they liked the movies. Right. And I wonder given the time frame, if, um, what's this, uh, uh, James Gunn hadn't been taken off the movies and they were going to do a third one. That would have been the same sort of thing, whether this would have happened. I feel like the timing yeah. is just right. That like, okay, he's off the movies. They have to change the movie, so let's go in a different direction with the book. And I feel like this is what they got. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, it's, um, that's total speculation. But it seems really weird to go so far away from what is you know generally a, a successful property. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say 
how close are they hue to? They don't because they don't always cl- hold close to hue to it. But mm-hmm. you know, you're right. I mean, it's very, that's one of the more popular franchises in the movies. So yeah, it is I curious. Mean, I mean, R- Rocket Raccoon and Groot on their own are you know they've got to be just like money printing ideas, and Rocket is in here, and the only explanation you get is we don't talk about Rocket. <laughs> um, which again, fine by me. That means there's a mystery to get to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's already been told. I'm sure someone will tell us on Twitter or the website what it is we missed because we didn't read that. Whatever. Well, clearly we missed something. Yeah. But then again, maybe maybe it happened in between. Yeah. Serious. We'll I don't like. Later. I don't mind I don't that. I, I'm fine yeah. with. I'm fine with that. Um, you guys all have to listen to the book explode because these these things are going to come up when we do it. I'm just saying. Oh yes. At the end of the month, um, I think that's going to do it for Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, life. It's too short for bad Wi-Fi, Connor. It's just yes. too short. Oh, absolutely. Ugh, it's awful. And that's why we have Eero. Eero is sponsoring the show today. They started Eero to build a Wi-Fi that, that you wish you had in your own home. It's a fast, reliable connection in every room. Backyard, too, if you set it up just right. Uh, in February 2016, the Eero home Wi-Fi system was introduced, bringing the idea of multiple access points placed throughout the house to consumers for the first time. Now there's the second-generation Eero system. The new Eero and Eero Beacon allow a customer to build a Wi-Fi system that is more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before. Uh, they offer speed and range and the same quality, high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. The second generation uh, has the addition of a third 5 gigahertz radio. I know enough to know that that's good. Uh, second generation Eero is now a tri-band and twice as fast as the first generation, which lets uh, users do more with it simultaneously in every room of the house. So you don't have to say, hey, I'm recording a podcast, shut Netflix off, because I've had that conversation. <laughs> saying, and I don't have that conversation anymore. Um, it seamlessly blankets your home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi, increased speed and range uh, with the powerful tri-band radios. Sits flat on the surface, plugs into a power adapter, it connects over Ethernet or wirelessly in any combination that you'd like. Eero Plus is designed to provide simple, reliable security that defends all your home devices against a growing number of threats such as malware, spyware, phishing attacks, unsuitable content, if that's what you want to stop. The combination of Eero with Eero Plus provides complete protection for your network, all the devices, and those who use them as they connect to the internet. That's total network protection. Uh, It offers the ability to block malicious and unwanted content, advanced security, checking the sites that you visit against database of millions of known threats. Eero Plus prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites without slowing anything down. Uh, Eero Plus automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you can choose what your kids can, can and cannot visit uh, right there in the Eero app. The Eero app is great, by the way. Uh, ad blocking, you get rid of annoying ads and pops up, pop-ups in all your device. It improves load times for ad-heavy sites, so you can browse and stream faster than you were before. There are third-party security apps. There's VPN protection from Encrypt.me. Password management from 1Password. Pa- that's the number one and then password. And uh, anti-software, antivirus software from Malware. Bytes. The single router model that you've, you've all come up with, you used to, I still remember getting my first one, and I thought, oh my goodness, I don't have to be connected by a wire, and I thought it was so far out of the curve, but that doesn't work anymore, it's over, everything is more high bandwidth now. If you look at the size of the photos that your phone takes, it's ten times what they were forever ago. It's simple physics, like light waves, Wi-Fi waves do not go through walls well. Imagine asking a light bulb in your living room to light up your master bedroom, unless you have one of those big open plan houses, but that would be horrible. Uh, what you need is a distributed system. All, this is what offices have had for years with con- at considerable work and expense. There's a really expensive way to do it, but with Eero, you can install this enter- enterprise-grade Wi-Fi 
device system in your home in just a few minutes. Just download the Eero app on your iOS and Android devices and it will walk you through each step of the process, quick, easy, and painless. I have done it. That's true. Uh, current Wi-Fi routers are really tough to manage and optimize, so Eero app, Eero's app lets you manage the network from the palm of your hand. You'll know how many devices are connected at any given point as well as the internet speed that you're getting right there from your service provider. Always a bandwidth tester on there, which is rad. Uh, Eero is protected with state-of-the-art WPA2 encryption. Uh, it controls the hardware and the software for your entire network. It ensures that you that you're always secure. Traditional routers don't push software updates to their consi- to their customers, so you're left vulnerable to cyber attacks. That's like that thing where you go on your on your. I was going to say the name of the other company, but I won't. You you remember to sign into the the sort of admin for your router, and it's like, oh, you've got a firmware update. It's a year and a half old. It's like, oh, right. I guess I should have done that. So Eero is doing that automatically. Um, it, it's really seamless and painless. And then finally, it's a it's a great customer support system. Um, if you call, you will get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert within 30 seconds. Uh, if you have any worries about other connected devices during setups, one of the experts at Aero will walk you through everything. The experts can also help you. If you're not sure how many arrows are right for your home, just call and you can figure out what the best package is. Um, and so I've had one now for quite a few months. Um, I, I have no I have no complaints. It's faster than my old uh, uh, router was. It uh, it has a I have two beacons in the home unit. Uh, it covers my whole house a lot better. So I don't really have any dead spots or anything like that. And I can. Uh, look up stuff while I'm waiting for my dog to go in the backyard, which is helpful, I think. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if you want to check this out, uh, go to eero.com slash ifanboy. Uh, um, yeah, and the promo code is ifanboy. And never think about Wi-Fi again. If you do that, you will get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. Visit eero.com slash ifanboy. And of course, at checkout, enter ifanboy. Thank you, Eero. So Batman 63, Tom King, Michael Jannon, Jordi Belair. And uh, so we finally get some answers as to what these one-shot dream sequences are, mean. And do you still hate them? I don't like them. I get it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say it's bad, but I, I still – it's just not my favorite. You know that. I've been – for mm-hmm. years, it's just not a thing I love. It was, it right. was more clear. It was less – you know, I like John Constantine, sort of, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really him. It was just Dream a version, version of it. So, you know, it's fine. Although what was interesting was, you know, if it's all in Bruce's head because he's being tortured with the, with the fear gas, uh, there was one sequence where we were we followed Constantine by himself, mm-hmm. which you thought which you'd think wouldn't happen if it was a dream sequence, but um So is the idea that we're saying that none of this Catwoman stuff happened? Right, this is all in his head. None of it. So not even just the part at the end, or, or I mean, I know that the scenes in this didn't really happen. Or maybe none, of, none of none of this happened. I don't like that. Just another dream becoming another nightmare. Mm-hmm. I don't like um, that. Just as a rule, like I just sure. I get it. I did like the scenes. Some of the scenes. Though. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, like I have no problem with the craft of it. Um, eh. But Constantine's a little young and handsome. But I guess that's the DC version. Um. Yeah, I it was fine. <laughs> you, I, you like it more than I do. I I I I don't I don't dislike dream sequences, but um, it, it's when you do three issues in a row and they're all different. It's like okay, I get it. Yeah. You know, um, the first one did zero for me. The second one we talked about last time, the Professor Pig one was fun to look at. Mitch Garrett did great on it. Um. This one, I liked the the banter scenes with him and Selena. I liked the discussion about the clock. That was a fun scene. 
but ultimately it's hard to grab onto when every issue it's going to be different. I don't, and I don't know if it's going to keep going or not. This is part three. Um, but it, I mean, I, I just, it's like, okay, yeah, it's, that was fun. But friendly neighborhood Spider-Man number two is sort of the quiet second Spider-Man book that they've launched. And I wanted to mention it because Tom Taylor is the writer and he's very good. And every time I read yeah. something by him, I always like it. I just, I feel like he needs to be on a bigger book. I wonder if this is the big book they're putting him on. Um, it's just certainly not going to do much because it's overshadowed by Amazing Spider-Man. But uh, over the break, he wrote a Batman annual issue that was like the, one of the best single issues I read all year. Um, he's a really good writer, and this book is fun. And the art by Juan Cabal is great. And the coloring, especially from Nolan Woodward, on the, I just love the way the Spider-Man suit looks in this book. And it's just a... It's another Spider-Man book. He's got a neighbor in trouble. It turns into a bigger deal. He calls for help from Johnny Storm, and it's got involves aliens, and it just it's it's just funny and it's fun, and it I like it. It looks like like in the style and coloring, which I like. I agree with you. It it looks like uh, like one of their sort of sideways uh, all ages books that isn't really part of the Marvel line, and mm-hmm. the title seems to suggest that too. So that probably tends to pull mainstream attention away from it yeah i mean i didn't even know what it was when it when it launched i was like oh i'll check that out and i, I kind of thought maybe it was a ya book but um you know what you know this this juan cabal fella mm-hmm. uh are you familiar with this work at all i i the name is familiar i don't i can't think there's of a little quietly going on in this mm. check out like the 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 last page the last couple you know mm-hmm. like there's there's something there there's a punch before that that also looks like on the second to last page. Anyway, it's interesting. So it's yeah, good. I like it. Say yeah, it's I like good. It. It's fine. Right, yeah, cool. Tom Taylor's. I, I don't read everything he does because he, for a while, he was doing a lot of the, um, I think the video game tie-in books are. Yeah, yeah, he did the. I think the he also did the uh, Injustice. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I wasn't really know, but every time I have read books from him, I've really liked them. Um, so the problem with Hulk books for me is that even if even if I like them for a little while, eventually they turn into something I don't like. Yes. We are getting there with Immortal Hulk, uh, number. I think it's twelve. I didn't write the number. Twelve. It's twelve. Yeah. It's and it's and it's happening quick. Yeah. The last issue I did not like uh, yep. is very like we seem to be walking around with a version of Hulk in. Is it like in a dream world? I, you I can see it. Well, they're in hell. Oh, that's it. And like the version of Hulk is. I don't mind that there are different versions of Hulk. I don't want it explained to me. I don't like that. I don't. I don't need that. I, again. Almost all of the points that I brought up against any books today are really matters of personal preference of like what I want out of a thing. But what the book was and what I liked about it is now gone because now they were in the – but here's why that's happening. And I just – sometimes I think if you're going to do episodic stories, you know, Hulk traveling from town, just do that for a while. Mm-hmm. You don't need to explain it. Let it be what it is. But now we have to say the grand design and the thing behind it and whatever and all this like – I like when we skirt skirt the surface of, of psychological explanations of this. But really delving into it deeply uh, can go wrong quickly. Yeah, and I I don't know if they're implying here that basically his father created the Hulk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what they're saying. They may be saying it. They may not be saying it. I can't tell for sure. But yeah. um, I don't like that. And they, they, we, we, we've talked many times over the years about how the tendency in the last, I don't know, five or six years, maybe 10 years has been to 
make every hero part of a grand design in some way, as opposed to just a, a random act of heroism. His random act of heroism to save Rick Jones from the explosion, in my mind, that's what created the he created the Hulk. It was a confluence of the gamma rays and the explosion and right. his his demons. His hubris. It was a it was a random act. The random yeah. act of heroism did it. Not not his father was a grammar scientist and. You know, well, that, I mean, that makes it less interesting. I think that the trend that we're seeing now that I can sort of look back on it is you've got a lot of creators who want to put a permanent mark on a character mm-hmm. or in that universe. And the way that they found to be most effective at doing that is by plugging something into the history of it as opposed to creating something new mm-hmm. in an ongoing sense. Because it's easier once you do something like that, then it's in canon, then it's on the Wikipedia page, then it, you know, like whatever. Right. Instead of like, I mean, like, uh, I mean, I guess that, well, Dark Knight Returns would have been the opposite of that. It was like jump forward in the future and create something that hadn't existed before. But year one was also what I'm talking about. It just so happened that year one was really, really, really good. So it gets a pass. But that thing where it's also it wasn't part of a trend. No. Yeah. But it does seem to be the accepted thing. And it's funny because I don't think I don't know. Maybe it creates a lot of buzz. Like that's sort of why it why it works. So maybe it sells books or something like that. But it. It's so common now, and it's just convoluting stories that didn't need to be, and, and just over-explaining everything. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the edge with this one. I'm, not, uh, I'm. I'll probably read the next one, but three in a row. I, I want out of the the dreamscape hell wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't like this Hulk. Basically, ever since they captured him and put him in the jars, it's been going yes. in another way. Yes, not the uh, good way. No, but it was fun. You know, it had been really fun before. Uh, I think reading the 500-page 80s Avengers West Coast omnibus is affecting our view of modern comics, Josh. Oh, it absolutely is. Now, I don't want comics to go back to what they used to be, but you can definitely see what the strengths of those things were as opposed to what Mm -hmm. we're getting now. I feel like everybody needs to go read those. Like, everybody (laughs) who's making comics should, like, get a crash course in each of the eras to see what worked and didn't work from out of there. This is a preview of our Booksplode coming to you next week. Well, we're we're, we're working out in front of you. That's what's happening. <laughs> uh, we won't have anything left to say when we record it. it it's funny because when you're doing a book, when you're reading a big book like that, like you have all these thoughts and I want to apply them to what we're talking about, but it has no context for anybody yet. Right. Um, mm. Wanted to quickly bring up the Wildstorm number 19. Um, I believe there's 24 issues of this. Yes, there are. It, it really feels like I'm still it's going in on for 10 years. No, it has not been late. It has not been slow. It's been coming out regularly, monthly. It's been 19 months? Uh, something like that. I'm like, I don't think, I don't feel like it, I feel like it comes out really regularly. I don't it's feel like... a year like, and a half. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know when it first started coming out, but it, it definitely doesn't feel like, oh, right, I forgot about this book. It comes out regularly. and But it still feels like, it's it's weird, because they're re-explaining the Wildstorm universe, so they're taking a lot of elements from it before that always still feel kind of new to me. Uh, it's, it really was creating a new comic book universe, which is really fun. Well, are they re- they're not re-explaining it. They're, they're sort of... Reinventing uh, it. I mean... Reinventing it. Yeah, it's but a new version of it. What's interesting is that Warren Ellis created a lot of this. Yeah. And so he's basically like, okay, here's what I did. I'm going to do it again in a different way, which is so strange to see him reinvent Jenny Sparks and the authority and the doctor and whatever. And it's related to what he'd done before, but it is different. It's just like he had the germ of an idea, and this is what it would look like if I turned it this way and went this way. You know, we we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about different artists writing the same scripts or drawing the mm-hmm. same scripts. Yep. This is like a the same writer drawing the, writing the same con, con, uh, concept as if he was a different writer. 
It's weird. It it's is. Weird. It's it's really enjoyable. I actually I really enjoy it. But I, I feel like it's just coalescing now into something that I understand w- what it is, and like now they've got all the pieces set to to move ahead with it. And I was like, we're 19 issues in out of 24. It's right. weird pacing. It's it's it's. Well, it, I mean, it lost me a long time ago. No, I I know that. I have a I have a wild. I have a wild I'm just saying because thing. because it was so strangely paced. I was like, I don't. There was this. There was this middle period of Wildstorm that were some of the best books of that era. Mm-hmm. You know, not yeah, necessarily. Sure. The, there was obviously something really good in the first bit. I didn't read that. I wasn't around for it. And the books, the style of those books at the time would make them difficult. But immediately they brought in Alan Moore to write a bunch of it. And you know, Warren Ellis made his bones in the in the Wildstorm universe. And Joe Casey's amazing Wildcats runs and and there's really great material in there. Yeah. Uh, and it's not tied down with all the Marvel DC kind of continuity. So. Uh, they were inventive and sort of new, um, mm-hmm. if not of the time a little bit. But it's 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 been fun for me. I I I'm, I want to say I can't wait for it to end. I wish we'd keep going though. Well, let's move into War Corner. It's the corner, War corner. Room we haven't been in a while. No, probably because we forgot to brand it a couple times, uh, and talk about War is Hell number one, which is uh, one of the eighty years of Marvel specials they're doing to to pay tribute to the old War comics they used to publish. What a great title. And this is a this was a nice surprise. Uh, featured two stories: the first written and drawn by Howard Chaikin, the second written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, drawn by Alberto Albuquerque. And uh, this was terrific. At first, I was like, I, I saw the cover and I was like, New Earth and his War Book, because I think he did the <laughs> last War as Hell issues that were produced. Beautiful Dan Panosian cover as well. Yeah, but Chaikin in here. And and can, before we before we get too far into this, can we take a minute? To, to recognize how prolific Howard Chaikin is? He's, I mean, he is. You'd think he'd be slowing down, but he's constantly putting books out. Not even, like, like putting his name on stuff. He's writing and drawing complex shit. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean... At the age of 68. I mean, that's not... Is that how old he is? Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that, I'm tired. I'm old. I'm not I mean, his, well his, younger than him. His books wear me out, but, like, he's <laughs> he's got it. And, and... um. So what did you think of the story? Oh, I loved it. The first story, Swing Verboten, which is about a uh, a uh, Luftwaffe pilot who is also a jazz and swing band fan, which is sort of illegal under the Nazis, um, who uh, accidentally kills Glenn Miller. <laughs> <laughs> really swinging for the mainstream fences there. Right. I mean, the, the, if, if people don't know, Glenn Miller was the was the biggest musical star of the era one of the biggest in 1944 he was a big band leader yep and he went up he went over to the to europe for the war to entertain the troops and his plane disappeared over the english channel and they don't know what happened to it they never found it and uh that's what happens here basically an analog character whose name is something but not glenn miller uh is desperate to get to the front to entertain the troops and while we're also following along this germans german pilot and and then, like at the very end, as they're about to, you know, the German pilots are about to leave their patrol. They see the the lone ship flying through the fog of the English Channel, and they get shot down. And then the guy gets captured, the German guy, and he's like, "I'm excited. At least I'll get to hear this guy play." And he's like, "Oh no, his plane disappeared." It was like the end of a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, Brad Mitchell, yeah, the character. I love this. I love the first story. I did too, a lot. Everything about it. And then War Devil, which was the second story, which is. Uh, Set in Afghanistan. Um, I didn't love it as much, but I did really like it by the end. I don't remember a thing about it. 
Like I read it. Was it. Basically, I mean, it was the 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 narration, heavy, sort of heavy-handed, but about how there's sort of the the war devil that gets inside of you yeah. when you when you spend too much time in war, and it's sort of it, it could be a real thing because their eyes all turn a certain color when the people and the characters in the story have it, or it could just be a metaphor. But um, you know, it's just the the horribleness of of constant war. They both are old-timey kinds of war comics stories, mm-hmm. like the like the. Both of those things feels like it, they could have been out of the 60s just as well as is now. You know what else? This is some really fucking good shaking. It really is. It's really good shaking. This might, this might be some of the best shaking I've seen in a long time. It doesn't every once in a while you get like a weird shaking hand or like a strange or, or characters that don't <laughs> hold the same. But Well, you remember in Saving Private Ryan, Tom Hanks had a shaking hand. That's true. He did have a shaking hand. <laughs> Um, I'll, you know what? I don't. I don't mind that this was lettered more traditionally than most chicken stuff is. No, in fact, that's a plus. Yes, and uh, really detailed work. Great, great planes. There is no skimping here. There, are, mm-hmm. there are detailed backgrounds. There, are, there are vistas. There are ships in the water. There are crowd scenes. There are planes. I mean, you're right. And also, telling a short story is not easy. No, and, and it's, a, it's a skill that a lot of Comics people don't really get to practice, and this is a, this was a really good one. Yep, a really good one. It was a delightful surprise. <laughs> Wonder what Jake is working on right this moment. Probably it's, ten it's, books. Yeah, and they're all written and drawn, and people hate half of them. That's fine. That's what good art should do. It's true. Talk about the patron pick. Okay. Let's say so patreon.com slash ifanboy. That's where you can go join up to support the show, and one of the benefits you get of being a patron. Uh, besides making fun of us on in the Facebook group, is you get to vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week, uh, for a while, it looked like it might be a, a race between this book and Naomi, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer, number one, pulled away pretty decisively. Story by Jordi Belair, art by Dan Mora. This book is published by Boom Studios after a long stint uh, with the Buffy license at Dark Horse. Now it's at Boom. And it was, it was a nice... I didn't know anything about it because... Um, I watched the show for like three or four seasons and I loved it. And then all of a sudden I just got sick of it and stopped watching it. Like, like it was like a light switch. Was I've done that with shows. Like exactly I, that. Like I've yeah. had enough. I watched Angel. I watched all of Angel. Um, so I like that world. And I, long time listeners will remember that Ron and I both read the Dark Horse Buffy season eight book. I think it was season eight. Um, for like a year or two I years. I remember that. Yeah, three years. We, we we read it for a long time and then got sick of that too and stopped reading it. Um, so but I so now when Buffy books come out, I don't really pay attention. So I was surprised to see Jordy Blair writing it. And I was happy to see Dan Mora, who we really liked on the um, Klaus books on art. Oh, okay. Um, and this is interesting because, and I'm I'm just waiting to tee you up for a second. Um, uh, this is interesting because, kind of like. Um, and I don't know if you, you may not have known this reading. It's kind of like the Wild Storm. This is just a total reinterpretation of this of the story. This isn't a continuation. Not this is not the Dark Horse books, which were a literal continuation of the story. This is a total rein, reinvention. And I say that in that it's basically the same, but it's they it start at the beginning. Buffy's new in town. She meets Willow and Xander. Giles is is, is helping her as her watcher in the school. And we started at the beginning again. It's called Welcome Back to the Hellmouth. Is the title of the story. So they're basically starting from scratch again and not telling the same stories that the, that the show told, but with the same characters in the same set and the same setup. And I, I know that Josh really hated this book. I didn't hate it. 
I didn't care about it. Right. I don't think I knew that it was that kind of retelling. Right, you wouldn't know unless you watched the show. I, th- I know enough about the show, and I don't know if I ever even tried to watch the show. Cause I think I might have a little bit, but like... It's not like, for you. It's not- no, it is not. It's like, I watched like 10 minutes of it and went, oh it's no. It's the polar no. opposite of your type of show. Yeah, and... It, but it felt like, I was like, are they just retelling this? But it also felt like I needed to have seen the other one to appreciate what was happening in this. That was kind of the weird... It felt in jokey jokey's not the word, but it felt like it was done for Buffy fans. Oh, for sure. There was a lot of in-jokes. I mean, yeah. Willow keeps asking about witches, and in the show she ends up becoming a witch, and I mean, and I, I mean, I, uh, the character Anya, the blonde woman, I never, I was not watching when she showed up, but she's a character from the show, so like, there's a lot of that kind of thing where it probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but Well, so, it, but if it's a new, it's supposed to tell the story from the beginning, I that wasn't clear to me at all. Like, I didn't know. It didn't feel like it was set up like a like a jumping on point, I guess. And 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 I know just earlier I was saying I like it when superhero books do that, but I like it when superhero books do that. I don't like it when other books do that. I, I mean, I can imagine people reading this for the first time and and being able to follow it. I'm, yeah. I'm sure. And uh, I don't know if that's the baggage that we would bring I, I, cult- absolutely. culturally along yep. with it. Yeah, I think it's absolutely um, possible. I really liked the Dan Moore art. I liked I did that. Too. I think he's terrific. We talked about him before, but I I like that he drew the characters. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, George Jaunty, I believe is his name, who did the Buffy book uh, for Dark Horse, did, did this as well. It's like the opposite of what they do with the Star Wars books, where yes. clearly they're not photo referencing pause scenes on DVDs. The, the characters look like the actors, but they don't, they're not slaved to the actors. This is how these licensed books with real actors need to be done. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, it's when Eminem was on Star Wars for a little while yeah. and certain artists that have popped in there and then on um, the Vader books where you had, you know, had a lot of really good artists on that. And, you know, compared to the photo-y still images, yeah. it's so much better. Like they're drawing a likeness. They're yeah. not copying a photo. And that's what cartooning is to me. And, and really I, I find it so much. like this can yeah. do it where yeah. you, there's no point where you look at. Buffy or Xander or Willow or Giles, and you don't know who you're looking at. But it also doesn't look like they just paused the DVD and, or traced the screen. It just, I mean, it just doesn't look like that. Or dropped a photo into Photoshop. You know, it just doesn't. It's a really, it worked really well for me, the art. I liked it a lot. Now, the story was, you know, a little tough. I uh, got, and I got real sick of Xander real fast. I think yeah. by like page five. Cutesy. Um, it was all that cutesy. It, it's I'm, the real, and that was part of the problem why I fell off of Buffy the show because I just could, I got really sick of the cutesiness. It's tough because you, and I remember being really sick of Xander in the show after a while too. It's like he doesn't, he's not able to talk nor, like in a normal sentence. Mm-hmm. It's all like this uh, cutesy, almost Josh Whedon esque dialogue, and it's, it was really grating after a while on in this issue. Um, well, because it's a person with an affectation. As an adult, you're like, can you please just get to the point you're wasting my time and it's not funny. <laughs> like you have to be really, really good at it to sell it or it has to feel fresh. And if you've seen it a lot, then it doesn't feel as fresh. I really but feel overall, like – overall, the writing I thought was good. I just It was just some of the yeah, dialogue was just like I, I, But I feel like if you really like Buffy, you, you probably like this a lot. That's what I feel like. Mm-hmm. I feel like this would excite Buffy fanatics. Right. And it's got the right kind of art you know, for this kind of project. Um 
but it was never going to be for me as no. a thing. Um, no, no, no. But and I think I, that's I, the right I, choice, I, by the way. I, I don't think that you're necessarily going to bring in a new audience of people with a licensed Buffy comic. You know, like no, no one's sitting around Boom Studios saying, "How do we make Buffy bring in the jaded forty-one-year-old comic reader?" Forty-two in a month. No, but not, not yet, though. I'm not jumping your gun on you. I know. They're yes. not. That's not the strategy for Buffy. It's and that's that's the correct move, by the way. Right. And so, are you sticking with it? No. I might read the second one, just to see. But I, I know that Jordy is like a Buffy super fan. Right. So you know, good for her. She's probably having the time of her life. I saw there was like a little uh, Firefly reference on a TV, and I was like, "All right, I, I, I don't have much patience for that stuff anymore." No, and it's really. It's I mean, that's fine. I don't mind us still, but like I saw somewhere it was like uh, a Whedonverse crossover with the new Buffy. She was like, "Oh God, what are they doing here?" And I was like, "Oh, she was watching the fucking TV show. That's not a crossover. It's a nod." Um. So let's do ratings. Ratings. Ratings out of five. I'm gonna give Buffy number the Vampire Slayer number one a three. I, I'm going to go with a neutral two and a half. Okay. I don't think it was bad. I think there were a lot of things that were good about it, but uh, I'm going to have to leave that up to other people to decide. Again, not for not for Josh. Not for me. So there you go. If you want to add a book to the rundown, patreon.com slash ifanboys where you can do it. And it's also where you can help us uh, keep the show going, uh, keep keep the lights on, and help us reach our next stretch goal. Which is a it, it's a two part stretch goal. We number one is we upload all of the missing video shows uh, and minis to our YouTube channel and we embed them on the website. A bunch of them were taken down by our old distributor, probably half of them, and you could watch them all again if you want. Hit it with hit our next stretch goal. But the other part of the stretch goal is the non comics media podcast we do. We'll do once a month. And Josh, I'm a bum. We're not doing this because I would love to talk to you about. Um, the uh, Peter Jackson documentary, which you just watched. I did. They uh, shall not grow old, old. Which I watched uh, last month, and I would love to have done a show on that, but we didn't reach that stretch goal, so no show about that. Well, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it on next uh, year's all-media podcast when neither of us will remember it. No, because it came out, technically speaking, in December. So I it's see. not eligible for that show. But, uh, oh, well. Maybe if we hit our stretch goal, we'll do a, a roundup of some many things. You can also help support the show at ifanboy.threadless.com where you can find our T-shirts, our T-shirt designs, ifanboy logo, her and particularly podcast ratings. If we're like show GDAT and nothing makes sense, nothing matters, uh, That's those are all our shirts. And you can get those designs and other objects and products as well. ifanboy.com slash support. That's where you can help us out via PayPal directly if you want to do that. And ifanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find links to all the books we talk about in our books upload shows as well as a general Amazon link. We thank everyone who helps support the show, keep it going, and we do appreciate that very much. Every week we like to thank a few of the people who have supported us over at patreon.com slash ifanboy by giving them superpowers that we make up and confer upon them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Connor, what do we have for Scott Lyles? Scott Lyles can eject thumbtacks from his thumbs. Oh, it's a twist on the idea of thumbtack. Mm-hmm. So Does he, he work in an office situation? I mean, yes. He, he, he has a big cork board. Like, it wouldn't be very useful if, for exa- say, example, he worked in a tire shop. No. It would, be, it would be detrimental in that instance. Yes, but now, you know, he never needs to worry about it. He just sort of, if he, he, he's got to post something to his, thumb, his cork board, just thumbs it in there. Nice. I, mean, I assume he's also, got pretty good control over it because that could be problematic. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not like he shoots it out at an unknown velocity. Or like, you know, you don't want to be scratching yourself no, in no, the no. middle of the night and, you know, put a, right. put a tack no, in no, your no. balls. Right. <laughs> 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 don't make me laugh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't I just, do that, Scott. I broke my promise just then and I coughed it. But I mean, ears. the thing is, even with the control... You know, sometimes you're tired and you do accidentally, you accidentally thumbtack your balls. You I mean, or your eyes. Like, there's a lot that can go right. wrong there. Right, sure. It's dangerous. <laughs> well, J.D. Anthony has the ability to turn into a real old-timey gangster for various, for, for short moments if he needs to get things accomplished. So, like, say that he's going to the, the cable place and he needs a new box or whatever, and it's not working out, then he, he will transform into an old-timey gangster, make the sort of threats and things that he needs to get things done, and then he reverts back to his normal self. I need this cable box, see? Yeah, no, you know, be awful shame if I don't get this, see what happens. He doesn't remember what happened. All he knows is that things have gotten done for him. Mm-hmm. But he literally transforms into another person, so they can't tie it back to him. Mm, it's a, like a non-existent gangster. So it's not just he takes the persona, he becomes like a different person. Yep. Like with an Edward G. Robinson suit. Interesting. Yeah. Uses old-timey tactics to get what he wants. Does he have a Tommy gun? I mean, he could. I didn't say old-Tommy tactics, but it was close. <laughs> okay. I mean, it could uh, be. You could, I, I haven't really decided on what gangster I wanted to be. I don't know if it's it's Tommy from from Goodfellas or, you know, more of a more of a Sill from Sopranos kind of thing or. Right. Barzini. Damn. <laughs> it was Barzini all along. Right. Obviously. Um, Daniel Warden has uh, toes that are as long as his fingers, and they are as dexterous. So he's an ape. Yeah, but even, I mean, even you know, uh-huh. I think, I mean, are they exactly as long as their hands? I don't, I don't think they're know. they're as long. I don't know. They have, they have dexterous feet, obviously, but this, he's, he's got, his toes are as long as his fingers. That's uh, a shoe-buying challenge. But it is, he's got to buy big shoes, but he can, he can grip things real easily with yeah. his toes. But if, he, but if he wears sandals, people scream and run. Oh, yeah, no, there's no sandal wearing. There shouldn't be he's anyway. The, he's the guy at the beach, like, full-on basketball yeah. shoes. He's got those the huge Shaq size shoes, but he's five ten. Exactly. He he and Shaq have to shop together because right. that's the only kind of shoes he can buy. Right. That makes sense. Uh Jose Ayerve has various pull down flaps on his body that feature charging point ports. <laughs> For all kinds of devices? I mean mostly USB. Um, and he can update his firmware to sort of go from USB C to a USB three or something like that, so that he's you know, he's getting the proper voltage and stuff like that. But, yeah, he just, you know. What about, can he, what happens when they change the protocols? It's firmware update. He can do that. I it's see. it's not it's not painless, but he could do that. There's a, there's a couple of uh, wireless key port, key charging pads on him as well. But it is difficult to sort of sit still that long. So it's, it's a little easier to just sort of run a cable. Does it have any voltage problems between like 120 or 240 or other European voltages? No, it's it's sort of like you know like one of those like uh, like the Apple power plugs sort of adjust for whatever it is that it's going in there. He's got the transformer uh, installed, and he never runs out of juice himself. No, 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 he's fine. I mean, he might get hungry, <laughs> but you know, it's it's helpful. Hung, it's helpful on lo- long plane rides. It lets for, it makes for some awkward social situations. I'm not gonna lie. 
Where are these flaps? Chest, back, calves, forearms. You know, like the old toys where you just pull down the sort of rubbery flap? Yeah, for sure. And there would be a thing behind there? Yeah, charge ports. All right. Well, thanks, Scott, JD, Daniel, and Jose for being patrons. You can patreon.com slash ifanboy. You can get the $5 higher level and you get, a, you get a dumb superpower. That's let's how it works. Let's just do the second one real quick because we're running long. Elijah from Detroit, Michigan. I wanted to know if you could each pick your all-time favorite writer to collaborate with your all-time favorite artist for a project. Who would you choose and why? Jeez, I wish I had more time to think about this one. I, I mean, my first instinct was like, Garth Ennis already worked with Steve Dillon. Right. But Steve Dillon's not my all-time favorite artist. He's my all-time favorite artist to work with Garth Ennis. And that made right. it a little more challenging. So it made me think like, like, would I have wanted to see Garth Ennis write a, write a, a let's say, a war story with art by Darwin Cook? And then I started thinking about, like, does that work? And I'm not I mean, sure maybe. that it does. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, think that, I think that one of the things that's interesting is that sort of that writer-artist uh, magic. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a chemistry and a, and a collaborative style that, wouldn't, that not everyone works with everyone else. Yeah, but I don't know that that's necessarily attributable to like the style of writing and the style of art rather than the personalities of the people that is that are going together like i wouldn't have necessarily looked at sean phillips and go that art needs to be written by that guy Mm -hmm. but it's there's a thing that there's a there's a magic they have there's an alchemy they have like if you were to show me on paper i think of course on paper but if you know a sight unseen i see steve dillon's art and i don't know that it's necessarily going to speak to me at first it's only Mm -hmm. within the context of the words that were given to it which, by the way, is the magic of being an editor, to be like, well, this might work. Yeah, sure. Um, that might be the most important thing editors do is pair the people together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but, but who would you – okay, this is a I tough mean, the one. Hard, the hard question is figuring out who your all-time favorite writer and all-time favorite artist is. Well, the kind of changes. Yeah, it does. And I think that actually they're a little antithetical to one another because you know, if, if you're just choosing your all-time favorite writer and your all-time favorite artist – and by the way, good luck choosing that – um, right, exactly. You know, you're just putting together a team automatically. There's no like that. Well, that's a good question. So, sort of cycle. Do you do you know who your all-time favorite writer and all-time favorite artists are? Just like if you had to pick one of each, do you know that or something? All time is hard because I have changed over the years. I definitely have. This is my current. This is my favorite current right now kind of guy. It's probably Garth Ennis, but you could make a you could make an argument for Alan Moore. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then there's, there's others. Also, I'm talking comic book writers. Um, yeah, sure. I don't want Neil Stevenson to do comics. Um, or Shakespeare, I don't know. Uh, actually, I actually think Neil Stevenson could do comics. Yeah, I do too, but I think it would, his, to me, his strength is his way with language and his wordiness, and you'd have to pare that way down, and what I love about him is that he can go off on a verbal tangent in a way that comic book writers shouldn't usually. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, and Alan Moore is weird because... It hasn't really done. Yeah, anything. I think I know there's a lot of baggage within that, but I don't think anyone should shy away from. No, it's it's not paper. it. It's that I don't feel like I've read anything new that I've liked from him in a really long time. So, but it's I all time. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we never got around doing this in the video show. I think we talked about at one point, sort of figuring out the all time, the rankings, but uh-huh. we never did it. But um, like I don't know. It's a hard question. I mean, Alan Moore would certainly be in the conversation. So would Frank Miller and. Garth Ennis and you know who would I? What writer would I pair with Jack Kirby? Because we're talking right. like I don't know. I that's hard because I don't even think like 
like there's nobody alive who can who can work with that anymore you know what i mean like it doesn't uh yeah and i find it really hard to narrow down like one favorite i can but i can tell you you know like my favorite comic book i can do that is preacher my favorite mm-hmm. superhero comic book is a new frontier right so that's how i came up with garth ennis and darwin cook and i bet I bet they would have similar sensibilities. I bet it would be interesting. I bet it would. They're both not Americans, but they both are very steeped and, and knowledgeable about American culture. They both have an appreciation for history and different times and hard men. Yep. Yeah, I'm going think, with that. I think that would work. Actually. I'm going with my first instincts then. That's good. That's a good choice. Do you, do you have any? Do you have any additions for that, or you want to think? No, about I mean, it? I don't know. It's it's a hard. What's your like? I say to you, who's your favorite writer? You don't think about it too long. What's your instinct? Of all time? Mm hmm. You gotta pick one. I mean, it's J. Michael Straczynski, right? Sure. It's either. <laughs> Daniel it's Way. Either, it's, either, it's either Alan Moore or Frank Miller, I think. Okay. I can go with that. I can work with that. That's enough for me. Who's your favorite all time artist? See, that's a, that's a harder question. That's it is a harder question, isn't it? Because there's different styles, there's different things you want out of different artists, there's yeah. different stories. That's like I who's your help. favorite musician? You're like punk, rock, jazz, hip, what? I mean, Norm Brayfogle's my favorite all-time Batman artist, but I wouldn't okay. call him my all-time favorite artist. Sure, <laughs> you know, talk about Darwin Cook, you talk about Frank, Frank Whiteley. Whiteley, um, you know, uh, George Perez in his in his prime, John think, Byrne in his prime. Ugh. And I, you know, I actually was thinking about this again. We're going to go back to West Coast Avengers. Um, a lot of, I, I, you know, what, I, there's a case to be made that it's John Byrne for me because I can see that when I close my eyes for a lot of characters, I see the John Byrne version because he was doing a lot of that work in the '80s and early '90s when I was, you know, a kid getting into comics. So and like, that work stood out. Yes. He was one of the first, like, McFarlane stood out at that time because he was way different than everybody. But John Byrne stood out because I was like, this looks great. Yeah. And I mean, he, and he did, he did sort of the seminal versions of mm-hmm. a lot of characters. He did the best version of the Uncanny X-Men. He did the, he rebooted Superman in the, in the best Fantastic way. Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four and the Avengers. And, yeah. Um, he, he drew events like Legends. So, like, he did all, I mean, so it's, it's, there's a case to be made that for me, it could be John Byrne. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll say we'll say it could be. This was a fun conversation. But Thank I wouldn't you, pair John Byrne with Frank Miller or Alan Moore. No, that wouldn't work. That's the thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I think that's what I was running up against. But I had to really. I mean, I tend to. I tend. To, I can't think. I like guys who tend to do the same kinds of things. So, um, maybe. So that was it. Uh, thank you. If you want to write in, um, you can write to contact at ifanboy.com. Uh, we are very much in search of, of good questions and conversations. That was a really short and simple question that led to a really interesting conversation. Um, coming your way, actually recently having come your way, uh, was the Talksplode uh, with Brian Edward Hill. Uh, hour and a half, I think, more or less. I had a nice long conversation with Brian who has a pretty uh, varied career. Um, I didn't know a thing about him when I started, um, which is different than a lot of the shows that I do. Um, so we we got to chat and sort of get to know where we were for a little bit, and uh, I liked it. Uh, and then and then we've been we've been teasing something a little bit on this show, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. So next week, this coming week, uh, Thursday or so, you'll get the, our next book explode, the Avengers West Coast Epic Collection. How the West was won is the book we're talking about. It's 497 pages. 
I've been reading it for my entire life. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very excited to talk about it. We've been talking offline about how excited we were going to talk. Yeah. About. Here's my teaser about this. And this is what I think I've seen as we have been going back and reading these older comics. I don't want to say seminal because I don't know that that's right, but comics from other eras. And it takes over your thinking in a way that none of the current books I, I'm reading are. It's the same thing happened mm-hmm. when we read the Superman book. I was like, right, this is, this, it gives you context for everything now. Uh, yeah. And it's fascinating. It really is. And, and to be, you know, and to be you and I who spent all of this time talking about new books that come out every week, to sort of go backwards and do that in a way that we didn't even really do for the video show because we had to read so much content. Yep. We never read really big things like this because we wouldn't have done it in time. It, it, it's, it really makes an impact. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Well, lots to talk about. So you can look for that this coming week. And then in February, there'll be another Coxplode, right? Yes, yeah, and I actually I'm pretty sure I, I have it locked down, so I know who. I it think is. you should interview yourself, like you almost said earlier. That would be interesting talk about. I mean, it it's 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 probably going to happen at some point. <laughs> it almost came down to it. Yep, yep. Well, I, I held I held fast, okay. like a swarthy seaman to the to the rail during a storm. We got it done. Head over to ifanboy.com. <laughs> That's where the rail is. You can find all of our podcasts. You can uh, comment on those. You can make sure to check out. There's 82 talksplodes. 82. Wow. Now, I know that I only do them every other month, but we've been at this for a while. Um, some of them are probably fairly outdated, but I think there's some fairly universal conversation and all that. And it's certainly enough to keep you occupied for a couple of cross-country trips. Uh, 82. You can 82. find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking Facebook.com slash iFanboy or following at iFanboy on Twitter. You can follow us individually um, at Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram and at CSGO Patrick on Instagram. And if you like the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or even just a star rating. It helps people find the show. It's the most popular podcast aggregator and place people find them. So any show you listen to, you'd really help them out by just leaving them a star rating or a quick review. Uh, it helps the shows immensely. Even better than that is to tell your friends, word of mouth, social media. People ask what podcast you're listening to. We do appreciate it every time iFanboys mentioned, and we do thank you. And so there you go. We're done. That'll do. What do you listen to podcasts on? iTunes. Okay. I use Overcast. I don't remember why I stopped using iTunes. I just know that everybody told me iTunes was terrible, and I was like, it's fine. And then I started using something else. So I use are. iTunes on my desktop when I'm working, and then um, like at the gym or in a car ride, I use the, the shitty app on the phone because I right. just plug it into the car, and I can listen that way. I, um, I get you. But I don't really – yeah, iTunes. It's easy. I just subscribed to the new uh, David Tennant podcast, which is coming out soon. Oh, really? Yeah, he's interviewing his famous friends. It's a lot of that going around. Mm. Amy Mann and Ted Leo introduced a similar show. Uh, mm. Not as famous. Uh, better. Okay, so that'll do. Then I guess that's, that's, it. that's yeah. all. I'm Josh. You're back. I am, barely. I'll be better next week, hopefully. Yeah, Bye. Will be. Bye.